there are several of you who have had some questions, and what I wanted to do is just wait until the audience uh, got together again so that they can benefit from your question as well as uh, the answer. So, there's some of you who have some questions so far. Yes, sir. Uh, I have had the privilege of studying with my, some of my family, uh -huh. and um, we talked about the Sabbath. They're all Sunday keepers, and um, when, when we addressed it, there was at one point when my father looked across the table and he said, you know, what should I do? And he had tears in his eyes because he has this church family, you know, and so forth and so on. I forget exactly how we approached it, but, you know, we didn't bring him to a decision. And so, of course, I'm concerned that, as we just talked about, that it could be too late, you know. Okay. Uh, for those of you who could not hear, he was saying that he's been studying with his family, and uh, uh, they studied about the Sabbath, and he was sitting with his dad, and there were tears in his father's eyes, and the father said, what shall I do? And he said that uh, he didn't bring him to a decision at that time. Uh, what should he do now? I guess that's the next, next question. Uh, sometimes God is gracious enough to help us through our errors. Um, when you are dealing with people who are under conviction and you do not sense it, and therefore you do not help that person to yield to that conviction, uh, there is danger that that conviction will gradually wear away. It becomes more difficult later on for them to respond. See, the reality is this, folks, that we cannot raise conviction of ourselves. That is something that God does. Our role is to yield to conviction or to resist conviction, one or the other. But when conviction is present, you have to, you're brought to a point where you have to deal with it. God doesn't just give you conviction uh, as a feeling that you can not deal with it. But when a person doesn't deal with it, well, but I'm, well, I should say this, put it this way, when a person does not yield to that conviction, then the strength of conviction uh, can weaken. The only way to keep that, that conviction uh, growing is by continuing to feed and uh, study with people with studies that uh, have the purpose of bringing conviction or strengthening conviction. For example, there are illustrations in the Bible as well as human illustrations that we may have that uh, can help strengthen conviction. Stories of people who were challenged by this whole idea of Sabbath keeping. Uh, for example, the two stories I gave about that particular gentleman who uh, was a businessman in tourism, or uh, Bruce Wilkinson, who uh, was faced with a court-martial. And when he was faced with that court-martial, we were all worried uh, because we didn't want them to, to be uh, suffering as a result of making a decision to obey the Lord. And so we were praying that God would somehow overrule, and God did. The, the thing is that as you share things like that with people who face the same obstacles and who made the decisions, it strengthens convictions in others. Uh, the same thing when you're dealing with uh, sharing things from the Bible. Usually the, 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 the testimonies of biblical people or people of today God uses very mightily to make impressions and to bring conviction, okay? So when a person has not made the decision, then you need to, to bolster up their conviction by sharing conviction type of stories, illustrations that heighten conviction, as well as studies or texts that have to do with the, the, the danger of not yielding at the time. For example, one of the texts that I always like to use is the words of Christ 
walk in the light while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon ye. Okay, so in other words, some people think it doesn't matter if you respond to it right now or not, you have time. But it's important for you to bring verses of scriptures that are poignant uh, in re relationship to that particular point, that it is not up to us to determine when we should respond. It is, or should I say, when we are to get convicted, it is up to us to respond when we are convicted. So when there is conviction, encourage people to yield to it. If you haven't, then come back and again build up to that point and, and, and appeal again to them, okay? So you got to build up again, okay? Uh, when I left show business, I went after, after Manny and um, I lost that. And I was witnessing to the other boys. In fact, uh, uh, sad to say, they showed up in my apartment one day, all three of them, former vampires, and they told me, they said, okay, uh, Louis, we bought you a new a bass guitar, we bought you a new bass amplifier, we got uh, all the PA equipment, we have a manager with all the money that we need, and uh, uh, come join us again and go on the, on the road. And I felt bad for them because they didn't understand that this is no longer my life, you know. Because when I became converted, uh, they thought that I only became religious because I was afraid I was going to go to Vietnam. Well, so when they, after I came back from overseas, they thought, well, the fear's over now, so he doesn't have to worry about it, so he'll be ready to go back, see? So they, I mean, they bought me brand new equipment. They were ready for me to go back on the road with them. And I said, I'm sorry, fellas, but that's not me any longer. Okay? So they left. And I just discovered recently, one of the fellows called me, Tony, and he lives in San Jose here, so I need to call him. And because uh, he just called me after 1968 was when I left show business. 69, what is that, almost, uh, 40 almost 40 years. So he just called me. I thought he was dead because he was so drugged up that uh, the last time my brother saw him, uh, his hair was matted and all that. And this, this boy was the one who was very frugal and uh, very penurious. He bought a, a four-story building in, in Brooklyn. He bought a, a, a beauty shop for his wife. He bought a disco. He bought a tire shop. He bought, I mean, the guy, uh, I didn't do that. I was too nutty. But uh, he saved a lot of money and did a lot of stuff. But then he went into drugs and my brother said last time he saw him, he was, his eyes were glassy, his hair was matted, and he was just lost everything. So now he lives in San Jose, just moved to San Jose. Huh? You can tell him you have a Bible back in San Jose. All right. Yeah, he needs studies. But anyway, <laughs> after all these years, he's calling me up. And um, he's, he's, he's thankful that I'm following the Lord, and he wants to know more about the Lord. So, you know, so you never know, okay? I can't say that for the comets. Comets, I, I gave them all steps to Christ. I witnessed to them. I went to Madison Square Garden when they were doing a performance there and uh, went to the dressing room and talked to them a bit. But I got there just before they were supposed to go on stage. It was one of those oldie but goodie things, you know, where they, uh, the old rock and roll, doo-wop, doo-wop, and things like that. So. As soon as I got there, they, we greeted each other and all that. They were glad to see me. I was glad to see them. They uh, were announced, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on stage, you know, building the comments. So anyway, they went in there. There were thousands of people in there. And I just looked out to see what was happening. I felt like demons were in that possession of that place. And I thought I better leave. So I did. Never saw them again. So I gave them all. I left with Martha, Bill's wife. I left the steps of Christ to give to each guy. I don't know what they ever did with that. All I know is this, that in the website, on their website, they have my name, and they say, uh, today he's a Seventh-day Adventist minister, and is seen on 3ABN, <laughs> and, uh, and while, he was with the vamp while he was with the comets, he found religion. That's what they have on the website. But well, I asked them to put a tag from their website to my website. <laughs> That's right. 
And so they've done that. So at least people can, you know, if they go on the Rockabilly, whatever it is, website, uh, they go to my picture and then there's a link from that to my website and from my website to Mission College. So anyway, and there's several sermons that I have there, so hopefully uh, they're listening. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Does that ask you a question, by the way? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Yes. How can you guide them to make conviction? Or to guide them to, you can't guide them to make conviction. You have to guide them to, to uh, sense conviction. Uh, but let me do the following. Let me just go through a, a few points here uh, that are important. Number one, when you see people on the conviction, you have to ask them to yield to that conviction. You have to what? ask them to yield to that conviction. And the key question that I always ask is, is there anything that will keep you? Write that question down. Is there anything that will keep you? Okay. You have to ask the question because the problem is you do not know what is hindering that person from making that decision. And unless you ask the question, you will not get the answer. Remember, the Lord says, ask and you shall what? Receive. Okay. And by the way, if you notice, it's interesting. Ask, seek, and, and knock, right? Ask, seek, and knock. If you look at those, those uh, ask, seek, and knock, the first letters spell out ask. Okay? So, ask. Now, when you ask, people uh, will respond to you. And sometimes they respond to you in a way to skirt conviction. Okay, so they come up with what is called objections. When people raise objections, it is important to uh, help them to remove or resolve that objection. And let me just give you some demonstrations on that. Uh, I was with a, a gentleman who came to talk with me. I was having a lunch meeting, and he was a well-dressed man. He came up to me and he said, uh, I got to talk with you. So after people were dismissed, we sat down. And he said to me, uh, if I do what you say I should do, uh, I don't think I can handle it. So the first thing I have to do is remove that you. So I have to, I said, if you do what I said, or if you, if you do what God says, I always have to bring it back to God, okay? He said, well, if I do what God says, I don't think I can handle it. I said, well, what is it you don't think you can handle? Well, he said, I live with a woman, and I love her dearly. I don't believe I could live without her. So, I again have to revert him back to the, the, the heart problem, Okay? What is more important to you, your woman or salvation? Now, the reason I have to ask that question is because if the woman is more important to that person, then I have to take a different approach. If salvation is more important, then I take a different approach. Okay? Fortunately, you said salvation is more important to me. Well, if that's the case, then my role now is to help them to yield to that conviction. So I said, well... If salvation is more important to you, then do what God is asking you to do. I said, so what do you think God is asking you to do? So I'm asking for what reason? Hmm? I have to understand how he's seeing things. So he said, well, I feel God is asking me to break this relationship. Because he's not pleased with me living in this relationship. I said, well, is it that he's not pleased with you in the immoral situation? or Well, the immoral situation. So I said, I'll tell you what. I will be glad to go and talk with that woman for you. He said, would you? I said, I'd be glad to. Great, he said. What time? I said, tomorrow, 1 o'clock. 
Okay. So I said, set it up, make sure she's there. All right. So I get to, uh, I get to my first appointment Sunday morning. And by the way, it's up in Brasov, up in the mountains in Romania, and it's snowing, and the snow turns to ice, so the only way to get around is with ice skates, okay? And I didn't have a pair. So, I'm with my translator. I get to my first appointment, and the miracle takes place, so I can't leave it. I have to work with this, with, with this miracle, okay? So then, finally, I get to, uh, to the time when I'm supposed to be there. It's too late. There's no cell phones, there's no, I don't have a cell phone number, I don't have a number, I mean, nothing. So, I'm embarrassed, I can't reach the appointment. And by that time I had to go to other appointments. So finally, I get to uh, the meeting that night, and I'm kind of feeling a little bad, and, you know, I don't, don't want to see the gentleman, you understand? I want to see him, but you know what I'm saying. So he finally shows up and he's walking with this woman, and they're smiling. So I, he said, uh, when you didn't show up, he said, I see that you're very punctual. And he said, when you weren't here at 1 o'clock, I got nervous. When 10 after 1 came, I got frightened. When 20 after 1 came, I was terrified. And he said, I knew I was going to have to face the music myself. Which means, was there conviction, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. So... He sat down with the woman, opened his heart to her, and told her that he decided that he was going to get baptized, he wanted to be a Christian, and he could not live in this relationship the way it was any longer. That he loved her, he would break his heart, but he wants to follow God. She started crying and said, for a long time I wanted to do the same thing, but I was afraid that if I told you, you'd leave me. Oh. Well, they embraced, decided they would both be baptized, and uh, they came that night, you know, hand in hand, uh, made the decision, all right? If you, if you understand what I'm saying, I had to ask the questions to sense, get a sense as to how strong the conviction was. How what? Strong. How strong the conviction was. Because sometimes people come to you with knowledge but no conviction. With what? And they'll ask you a question, not because there's conviction, but because they, they understand something or think they understand something, and they want to make, uh, did I understand this right, you know? And so, but there isn't a level of conviction. So you have to be careful when people ask, uh, throw things out, you have to ask questions to determine the level of conviction. Does that make sense? All right? If I sense there's no conviction, then I am not going to be dealing or hashing over trying to deal with the issue. I'm going to try to increase conviction. To do what? Increase. Increase conviction. Okay? So the way to increase conviction is, again, to turn to, to the Lord and what the Lord wants and how the Lord uh, longs to save us, etc., etc., etc. You understand what I'm saying? And ask questions. All right. Another objection. I'm, I, uh, a lady says to me, uh, and uh, there were two, uh, a daughter and a son, and they came to me and they said, they were attending my meetings, I was holding a meeting in New York City, and it was being translated into Yugoslavian and into Romanian simultaneously. So, uh, the, the son, daughter, are already mature, 25, 26 year old, and the wife. All of them are Adventists. The husband is the only one that's not and father. So they said, can you visit him? I said, I'll be glad to. I visited with a man. He couldn't speak a word, well, maybe one or two words in English, but uh, I had to use the daughter to translate. Well, I asked the question of the man to kind of get a sense to where the man was. The man responded, and the daughter didn't like the man's response. So she got into an argument with the father. Okay. Well, I said, what did he say? Well, I didn't like what he said. I said, that's not the point. I said, who's dealing with your dad, me or you? I said, you've become an interrupter rather than an interpreter. Okay. And I said, if I'm going to reach your dad, you can't do that. You, you know, you can't translate. So I said, brother, you're going to have to translate. So the brother began to translate. And so I'm asking questions. What am I doing? Because I want to find out if there's any depth of conviction. Because you cannot make an appeal if there is no conviction. 
You see, if there's no hook at the end of the line, there's nothing you can pull. Okay? So, I'm listening and watching and observing. All right? So, I asked the question again, and I said to the, to the son, since the dad didn't understand, I said, look, make sure that you don't uh, change the question or the answer. Make sure you do my question as I ask it. Make sure you give me the answer that he gives, and you don't respond. All you're doing is just being a channel, by which I can find out how your dad is feeling about this. Said, okay. So that's what he did. And uh, finally, the man said, I want to be baptized, but he said, I want to do it privately. So I said, fine. We had prayer, and the daughter says, hey, pastor, I just want to tell you, my dad is not getting baptized. I said, what do you mean? He said, my dad just said, he likes you. He doesn't know how to say no to you. I said, well, that's, that's okay. What's wrong with that? So he said, you don't understand, Pastor. I know my father. He's not getting baptized. He's, he just doesn't want to hurt your feelings. And so he told me that. I said, okay. Well, next day we got uh, together with him. And this time we were around the kitchen table. And I asked a question, and the mother lands into the dad. See? So what's happening is that you got three against one. You see? So this man has his defense up. You understand what I'm saying? They're getting up on him. So... I, uh, when she did that, I said, uh, can you get me a glass of water? <laughs> oh, sure. And then I said, by the way, see, what you, uh, see if you can get something prepared for us, all right? She said. Then <laughs> <laughs> I give her the wink, you know? So she goes over to the kitchen, all right? So then the, the, the man finally says, Look, Pastor, uh, I changed my mind. I, I said, oh, what you changed your mind about? The son, of course, would translate, and the son was thinking, oh, the sister's right. You know? So he said, I don't want to be baptized in private anymore. I want to be baptized in front of the church. <laughs> so, so we separate, and the daughter says, you see, Pastor, I told you. Can't you see he's changing the story all the time? First he wants to do it in private. Now he wants to do it in public. My dad... Bashful dad, forget it. He's not going to go up in front of the church. I said, well, look, when he does, just support him, okay? But pastor, you don't understand. I know my dad. In front of the church, forget it. He's as timid as a mouse. I said, okay. So then next time we meet, he said, well, pastor, um, I would like to say something to the congregation. I said, sure. And the daughter comes to me and said, you see, Pastor? My dad just does not, he doesn't know how to get out of this. And so he's, you know, he's changing his story all the time. I said, no. I said, what I'm seeing is there's an increase of conviction. There's what? Increase. An increase of conviction, see? From fright and being timid and wanting to do it privately with nobody present because he was, in, you know, timid to wanting to do it in front of the congregation, to want to testify to the congregation, that's a, a growing of what? Of conviction, see? Now, are the kids recognizing that? No. Is the wife recognizing that? No. So I said to the daughter, look, when he talks in front of the church, make sure you translate, okay? Don't, interp don't, don't uh, be an interrupter. Oh, pastor, my dad's not getting baptized. I said, yes, he is. You watch. So... Saturday comes around, the man puts on his robe, gets into the baptistry, and then he says to his daughter, uh, translate for me. So she gets up to translate, and he begins to talk to the audience. And, and his message is so moving, the girl can't translate. She's bawling. So I said to the brother, you better help your daughter, your sister out. <laughs> so he gets up to translate. And here's what the man said. He said, for 50 years. How long? 50, 50 years. He'd been married for 50 years with that woman. She, she said, my wife has been a model woman. She has been a Christian. I have never permitted my children to attend any other school systems than Adventist school systems. But he said, I was too proud to let them know that I believed what they believed. And then he said to the, to the audience, to the men, he said, you men, 
who are married to Adventist women, don't do the same mistake that I have done. Don't let your pride keep you back from giving yourself to God. Amen. I mean, he became an evangelist. Huh? <laughs> what do you say? Amen. Huh? From timid mouths to, you understand what I'm saying? So there's increase, increase, increase. So people have obstacles in their lives, and what you have to do is find out what those obstacles are. Here's another objection. Uh, another woman, she's an Adventist, beautiful Christian woman. She's married to a non-Adventist. So she says, uh, my husband has been attending church for 10 years. He loves the church, he keeps the Sabbath and all that, uh, but he won't get baptized. Okay. So I go visit. Sit down with him and start with the process, getting acquainted with him, what kind of work you do, you know, etc. You grew up here in town, etc., etc. Kansas City, Missouri was the place. The guy's name was Cy. So uh, I'm asking him questions about how positive he's about the church, okay? So, uh, how long have you been attending church? Oh, 10 years. I said, uh, you like the church? Oh, I love the church. I said, what do you think about uh, uh, all of the teachings that we have? He said, well, of course, you know, they're from the Bible and all that. I said, well, I said, wonderful. So I said, so when did you become an Adventist? Oh, he said, I'm not an Adventist. Oh, I said, you're not? He said, no. I said, well, what, what would keep you from it? Okay, what's the question? What would keep you? Well, he said, then immediately uh, there was a change. Before it was our church, my church, etc. All of a sudden there's a change. And he says, you people teach. Okay? What does that tell me? No, it's not his church. Was there a conviction? Yes. Yes, there is. See? You people teach that the Catholic Church is the, the beast. Yeah? I said, well, because I'm waiting, you know, I'm not saying yes, I'm just, and he says, and, uh, and you teach that the devil is behind the beast, right? I said, well, and, <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, I can't accept that my mother worshiped the devil. I didn't understand what he meant. <laughs> I mean, you know, what does it have to do with the price of tea in China, I thought. <laughs> so I asked him the question. I said, can you elaborate? Can you well, he said, my mother was a, 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 a very devout Catholic. And if I accept what you guys are teaching, then I have to accept that my mother was worshiping the devil. And I can't do that. So I said, well, tell me about your mom. Well, he said, my mom was a very wonderful woman. And then I saw a tear in his eye. And, I said, and he said, uh, I gave her a lot of trouble. So what kind of trouble did you give her? Well, he says, I was an alcoholic. And of all the kids, she was most concerned about me. She prayed for me all the time. So I said, well, Sai, are you still alcoholic? He said, well, no. He said, since I met my wife, I haven't, been in, I haven't touched a drink. I said, so... Uh, was your mother praying about that? Oh, yeah, he said. I said, did God answer that prayer? All of a sudden, he well, yes. I said, so who answered the prayer, the devil or God? He said, well, God did. I said, well, obviously then, your mother was not praying to the devil. Praying to who? To God. So I said, my mother was a Catholic also. She prayed for me. And prayed for all my brothers. Because she wanted us to be good Catholics. We became good Adventists. <laughs> and he smiled about that. I said, so, Sai, your mother was praying with what she understood. And the greatest burden was to see you do well in your life. Are you doing well now? She, he said, yes. I said, and thank God that you had a praying mother. Thank God that your mother communicated with heaven. And that heaven heard her prayer and reached your heart. I said, now, Sai, now is there anything that will keep you? See? So I found the objection, cleared the objection, and come back for decision. the decision. You got that? So what do you do? Find the objection, clear the objection, come back for the question again. Now is there anything that will keep you?
His answer, I got a problem. What's your problem? He said, well, I work for the Social Security Department, federal government. It's okay. He said, well, on some Sabbaths, I have to print checks. And he said, I'm responsible for printing all the checks from, from Missouri all the way to California. I don't know how many millions of checks that was. <laughs> but he said, sometimes it happens to fall on the Sabbath. And I have to be there. And he said, the problem is, I'm very close to getting my pension. And if I quit now, I lose my pension, plus I lose my job. So I said, is the one that answered your mother's prayer able to help you? He said, yes. I said, look, if you want, I'll go with you and talk to your boss. No, he said, it's all right. I'll talk to him. Just pray. So we, we prayed at the church. He had to wait three weeks. It turned out, finally he came. And he said, Pastor, Pastor, you won't believe what happened. I said, what took place? He said, they said I can have the Sabbath off. I said, praise God. So what happened? He said, well, my supervisor could not make the decision. It had to go all the way up to Washington, D.C. <laughs> because they had to determine, since it was a federal job, that if they give you off the Sabbath, they have to give other employees the Sabbath also. So they had to debate that and discuss that before they could render a decision. But here's what they decided, that I could have off my Sabbath, and if the printing falls on Saturday, they would hire somebody else to do the printing so that you can keep your Sabbath. Amen. All right? So now that objection is resolved. So what do you think I do now? What do I do now? Ask the question again. All right, Cy, is there anything that will keep you now? He said, no. So I baptized him. All right? So you have objections. You have to remove the objections and come back to the question. Okay? Objections, remove the objections, come back to the question. All right? Is that clear? Yes. Yes? yes. Now, you have to learn to ask what we call diagnostic questions. Write that down. What kind of questions? Diagnostic questions. In other words, when you go to a doctor, what's the first things they begin to do? Ask you questions. What kind of questions? Doctor, what kind of questions? Huh? Yeah, whether you hurt, how long has it been, uh, is there a history in your life? Yeah, all those kind of things, right? Those are diagnostic questions so that you can try to do a process of elimination. A process of what? Elimination. So that you can find out what the particular issue really is. Okay? So, you have to ask diagnostic questions. Now, in spiritual realms, you don't, you're not asking, do you, does your heart hurt or does your liver hurt? Uh, you have to ask questions re relative to the spiritual conflict that's going on. And different people have different spiritual conflicts. For example, in, my, in, my, in the book here, in the back, by the way, because I don't have all the time tonight, to this afternoon, this morning. In the book, I have uh, factors affecting spiritual decisions, social decisions, economic uh, decisions, okay? Different factors that people are dealing with. Then in the back, I have, uh, ooh, I have a, a whole list of uh, objections and verses of Scripture to deal with those objections. For example, uh, people have uh, questions like, uh, or statements like, I can't leave my church. Or, I can't make a living if I keep the Sabbath. Or, I'm too great a sinner. Uh, I'm afraid I can't hold out. You know, if I start, I don't think I can keep continue on. I can't live up to the truth. I'm not good enough. People will talk about me. I mean, all of these things that people raise. I have them here with the particular answers. Now, what I like to do uh, right now is I want to be able to demonstrate how to, how to make the transition and leading a person to Christ, okay? All right? Now, the reason for that is that many times uh, uh, people assume that they know Christ because they've grown up religious. But the reality is that many times these people have not really committed themselves to Christ because they don't know what that means. They really don't understand what that entails. They just think that as long as they're religious, they know God. You understand what I'm saying? Do you know people like that? Yeah. Uh, 
who, when you try to talk to them about the Lord, they, they uh, respond like uh, they're offended, that you think that they're, not, that they're pagans or something because you're asking a question. Well, the reality is that there are pagans, but don't realize it. Uh, and I'm saying that from this perspective. A lot of people think that religion is following Christ. And religion is not following Christ. If you follow Christ, you are religious, but not necessarily if you're religious that you are following Christ. Does that make, does that make sense? Yes? No? Okay. So, the, the, the important thing is that you ask enough questions to help you understand where that person is, and then by God's grace lead them through. All right? So, let me, uh, this lady with the cap on, could you come and help me? Would that be a, a terrifying experience for you? Huh? It would be terrifying, but she's going to come anyway. Okay. Could you repeat that inverse statement you just said that religion is... Have a seat. What's that? Would you repeat that statement you just said about following Christ is something... And yeah, there are people who assume... For example, if you take a survey and you ask people, in your opinion, how does one become a Christian? You'll, you'll be amazed at the, the answers. Uh, you're born in it. Uh, you go to church. Uh, those are the answers that people normally give you, see? Well, is that how you become a Christian? What's the answer? Yes or no? No. Can you grow up in the church, even the Adventist church, and never know Christ? Yes. yes. So, it's not a, a matter of being religious, it's a matter of having a relationship. Yes? And so that's what we're working on. Okay, you're hiding your name on purpose. Okay. Thalia? Did I pronounce it correctly? Thalia or Thalia. Huh? Thalia or Thalia. Thalia. Okay. And Van Mat Matre? Van Mater. Mater, all right. I'm trying to give it too much of a French uh, <laughs> twist. Uh, where are you from? I'm living in Orange County right now. Orange County. That's down south, isn't it? Is that Los Angeles area? Mm, a little south of A little that. south of Los Angeles mm -hmm. area. Okay, I, I, I'm acquainted with that area somewhat, more Los Angeles, because I have relatives. In fact, all of them are in the police department over there. Oh, okay. To the, the, uh, my cousin was assistant to the chief of police of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. She just retired. Her husband is a sergeant in charge of all the motorcycle guys that chase you around when you're <laughs> speeding. So, so anyway, I'm acquainted a little bit with them. Uh, were you born there? Did you grow up there? Or? No, I'm Jamaican. Jamaican. So, so you're from Jamaica, man. <laughs> okay. All right. So how long have you been there in, in the uh, Orange County? A long time? From 81. 81. Well, she's been there for a while. But you're no longer Jamaican. <laughs> and what kind of uh, work do you study? Do you work with? Uh, I'm in the IT department for a medical billing company. I'm a system administrator. Oh, she's the assistant administrator for making sure people pay their bills. <laughs> okay. And you've done that for a while also, I assume. Mm, I've been there 23 years. 23 years. <laughs> That's a long time. So you're part of the permanent fixture then? <laughs> sort of. Sort of, okay. And uh, your, your background, spiritually speaking, were your parents... Uh, my mother was Adventist. Your mother, my father converted from Catholicism. Your father converted from Catholicism when he was young, okay. And so what happened then? Did they bring you up in church? or? Yes. They did. So you've been uh, an Adventist for how long? Forever. Forever. <laughs> okay. So um, since you've been brought up as an Adventist, uh, I think you can relate to what I've been saying. That it's possible for a person to grow up in the church and not really know mm -hmm. the Lord. That's true? Yes, okay. absolutely. Absolutely, okay. Now, normally speaking, when I make an appeal in my meetings, one of the first appeals I make in my meetings is to accept Christ. To do what? Accept, accept Christ. The reason for that is that, that unless people understand that, that this is a relationship with Christ, uh, they take it as information. Uh, where you have a certain ideology and they have a certain ideology, or you have a certain persuasion, they have a person, certain persuasion. And I think you've heard people say, all roads lead to where? 
And what they're intimidating by that, by what they're intimating by that is that it doesn't matter what religion you are, uh, we all believe in one God and we're all going to get there. Correct? You've heard that? Yes. Okay. So, that same thing can take place within our circle. All right. So, when I hold meetings, I'm, I preach about conversion, I make an appeal to accept Christ, and I even pass out what is called a decision card. Now, I don't know how many of you have... Uh, I have a decision card here. Okay? And on this decision card, I have five points. I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. I want to be baptized the same way Jesus was. I once knew Jesus, but drifted away, and now I want to recommit my life to Him. I need prayer. I would like a visit. Okay? So on one side is English, the other side is Spanish, in case there are some Hispanics. In the last meeting that I just held, there happened to be some uh, Hispanics attending the church. The meetings, that was being translated simultaneously as I was speaking. So I had to have one side and the other side. Okay? Now, what I do is I pass out the card, and when I pass out the card, uh, and, and get it back, I look through it to see who has uh, marked what. And what I discover is when people put, I accept Christ as my personal Savior, I cannot assume that they know what that means. It simply means that they desire. They what? Desire. They desire to do that. Okay? So, uh, Talia, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I'm going to assume that Talia, then, was attending my meeting and responded to the card and checked off, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior, okay? So, when I come to visit her, I bring my card, all right? Evidence. What is it? <laughs> Evidence, okay. okay. So, I bring my card and uh, get a little acquainted with Talia, and, and then... I just wanted to come over and spend a little time with you about last night's meeting, okay? okay. So right from, from up the front. Then I would say to her, you know, last night we were just uh, thrilled to see how the Spirit of God was working in your heart, and we rejoiced at that decision, okay? Now I'm affirming. What am I doing? Affirming. I'm affirming the fact that the Spirit of God was working, and she responded to whom? To me? No. To whom? God. You got to affirm that. You got to do what? Yeah. Affirm that. Write it down. Okay. Now, so, now we rejoice in that. Um, and in passing out the card, we notice that you checked off, I desire to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. I'd like to just spend a little time with you on, on that. Okay? Okay. All right. Now, tell you, there are uh, a lot of people who come to the meetings that you've been seeing, and uh, there are different spiritual planes. Mm -hmm. there, there are people at different walks. And you don't know where they are until they come to a meeting like this, and you give them an opportunity, and they respond by saying, I want to be baptized, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people really, though they check things off, I've discovered really don't understand precisely how to do it. So what I'd like to do is just spend a few minutes with you, and I'm going to turn to a, uh, a, a chapter in the book of Revelation, and I'm looking at chapter 3 mm -hmm. and, and verse 20, okay. okay? And at this time, I want the person to read it. I want what? Person to read it. So can you read that? Chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Okay. Now, there are questions now that I need to ask. Okay. Now, Talia, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who's knocking? God. Okay. God is knocking. Now, why is he knocking? He wants to come in. Okay. Obviously, if he's standing at the door and knocking, he wants entrance. Correct? Right? All right. Last night... As God was speaking, you felt him knocking, didn't you? Yes. All right. And he knocks because of what? He wants to come in. come in. All right. Now, when I came to your door today and I knocked at the door, I noticed the peephole. I saw an eye looking through. Okay. And uh, you notice I was standing there. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Because you recognize I'm there, does that mean I can enter into the house? No, I have to open the door. Okay. So just observation does not permit me entrance. Is that correct? correct? Okay. 
She says, no, I have to open the door. There are many people who recognize that there is something there. Mm -hmm. If you talk to a lot of people, there are people who, who think there's a power, an essence, etc. They, they, if you ask them the question, they yeah, oh, I know there's something up there. I don't know what it is, but I know there's something up there. But that's as far as it goes. Recognition is not what God is looking for mm. alone. So if you recognize I'm there, I'm knocking at the door. You said you must do what with that door? Open it. You must open the door. Oh, here's another point. Now that you open the door, I can just barge in and walk in. Yes? Wouldn't be very nice. It wouldn't be very nice. Okay. So what you're saying is, yes or no? <laughs> no. No. I cannot just walk in. <laughs> right. All right. There are a lot of people, likewise, who have an open door. In other words, I've met people who say, oh, I wish I could know God. I wish God could come into my life. I wish, I wish, I wish. Mm -hmm. But that's as far as it goes. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it's important to recognize. It's important to even have a desire. But if, if that's where it remains, then you remain a frustrated individual because having desires that are not satisfied leads to what? Frustration. Frustration. Is that what you want? No. Okay. So if I'm going to get in, then what must you do besides recognizing and open the door? What must you do? Invite you in. You must invite me in. Okay? And that's where we are today. Okay. If Christ is to come into your life, mm -hmm. you must not only recognize that he is, you must not only desire, but you must invite. Okay? So what am I doing with her? Huh? I'm helping her step by step to see what God wants and what she needs to do. Okay? What am I doing? I'm helping her to understand what God's role is and what her role is. Okay? Now, once she tells me, I have to invite him in. Then the next question. Is there anything that would keep you from inviting the Savior into your life? No. Okay. So she says? No. no. At that point, then, if she says no, then I will ask her, can we kneel down together just now, and will you invite the Lord into your life? I'd like that. Okay. She says, I would like that. Okay. And at that point... She prays, and then I will affirm. I will what? Affirm. affirm. Lord, thank you. That, is it Talia or Talia? <laughs> Thalia. Thalia. I thank you that Thalia has opened her heart, but not just opened it, but she's invited you into her life. And I pray, God, that you will help her now to grow in your love. To do what? Grow. Because I do not want her to think that, poof, now she's saved. Okay? I wanted to understand that she's inviting the Lord into her life. Now, uh, I have met people who, when I do this with them, I said, is there anything that would keep you? And they say, well, yeah, I live with somebody. Or I smoke. So I had a lady like that. She said, well, yeah, I got a problem. Because when people are under conviction... Even if you don't tell them that there are problems, they already know that there are problems. Okay? So she said, I smoke. So, so I said to her, so what you're saying to me is that because you smoke, you cannot invite the Lord into your life. She said, yes. So I asked her then, have you tried to quit smoking? She said, yes. Have you succeeded? No. So... Can you do it in your own strength? She said, no. Well, if you can't not do it in your own strength, then who do you need to give you strength? Well, she said, the Lord. I said, will the Lord give you strength outside of you or inside of you? She said, well, I guess I have to have them inside. <laughs> I said, then, is there anything that would keep you 
from accepting the Lord into your life so he can give you victory over the smoking. Hmm. See, the reason for that is that people think they have to perfect themselves first before they invite Christ into their lives. And the problem is that they will never reach that place. I had a lady sitting like here, just like that. Natalia, thank you. Okay. I had a lady sitting just like her, who came from Jamaica of all places. And, uh, and I asked her, is there anything that would keep you? She said, I'm not good enough. I mean, here was a lady. She looked like a Philadelphia lawyer, and she was a lawyer. And she, she said to me, in front of the congregation, I didn't know she was not a, a committed Christian yet. She said, I'm not good enough. So I asked her the question, have you tried to be good, be good enough? She said, yes. Have you succeeded? She said, no. I said, well, if you can't succeed in your own strength, then who do you need in your life to help you to succeed? She said, well, I guess the Lord. I said, then is there anything that will keep you from inviting the Lord into your life so that he can help you to become good enough? She said, no. She started crying. We knelt down together, and right there she accepted the Lord as her Savior. Okay? So the important thing, folks, is that people don't understand what they're supposed to do. And don't take it for granted that people do have the intelligence to do it. The reality is when it comes to spiritual aspects, people need to be helped. They need to be encouraged. They need to know what to do. And I've spoken, I mean, I've dealt with uh, all sorts of people, congressmen, president. I, I uh, have baptized a, a king, a president, congressmen, senators, etc., uh, millionaires. And they, they can tell you how to make millions. They can't tell you how to accept Christ. Something that you think is simple. To their, in their minds, it must be something complex, a business complex. It must be something. And then you say, no, it's not that way. So you walk them through. You what? You walk them through. Help them to understand how they can yield. And then once they understand it and get it, that you have to help them to do that by kneeling down. By what? Kneeling. That's not the time to sit and pray. Did you hear what I said? That's the time to kneel, kneel and pray. So that that person recognizes that they are kneeling before the throne of heaven and they're inviting the king of heaven to come into their lives. And once they do that, you pray with them, you, you uh, encourage them and affirm that decision, and then encourage them to grow. To what? Grow. To grow in the Lord. So I tell them, you need to keep on coming to the meetings. All right? So you can keep on growing in the Lord. Well, now they rejoice. They've invited the Lord in their lives. They know that through God's grace they can overcome, and they continue to, to grow. And by God's grace, they're baptized. Okay? Now, what time is it? I think we're supposed to stop, right? Do you have any questions? Hopefully, no. Yes. <laughs> Rebecca? Um, you were talking about making sure that you don't wait too long so that they don't burn. Well, the, right, the, right. Go away. Mm -hmm. What if you have someone say that they want to be baptized when you're just starting studying with them and they don't know? There's so much. All right. What do you do? What if somebody decides they want to be baptized uh, early on? They don't know. Well, what I do is, in my evangelistic meetings, I call for baptisms early on. I don't wait till the end of the meeting to call for baptism. I'll tell you why. Because the meeting is the pressure cooker. The meeting is what? Pressure cooker. Now, what does a pressure cooker do? It cooks things faster. Okay. And we're told in the spirit of prophecy that in the convocation where the spirit of God is manifested, okay, pardon me, she said in convocations where there's work for souls, the spirit of God is specially manifested. Hmm. All right, now, if I know that, who is the one that cooks the soul? God. God. And the Bible uses the term quicken, which means makes alive, okay? So since it is the spirit of God, then I know when I'm holding an evangelistic meeting that who's present? God. The spirit of God is, okay? Which means then that they're in the pressure cooker. They will cook faster. All right? And that's why people make decisions a lot faster in the meeting than they do in a regular, event, a regular uh, Bible study program. What do you do if you don't have meetings? Hold a second. I'm going there. Okay. All right. So I'm explaining something to them, Rebecca. 
And so the important thing is that if they're coming to the meeting, I talk about the baptism early on because I want to know by making my appeal for baptism to surface those people who feel convicted they should be baptized. Now to me it doesn't matter at that moment whether they're ready or not. What matters to me is that they have a conviction. Do they have what? Conviction. Once I know that that conviction is there, then while they're in the pressure cooker, that conviction will continue to strengthen and grow. Okay? And I want to make my appeals during the evangelistic meetings because the Spirit of God is specially manifested. And if I don't get the decisions then, it is more difficult to get them after the meetings. Okay, why? The atmosphere ends, they're not eating food five days a week, and then they change to eating food maybe one day a week. So they go to, from feast to famine. Okay, and that's why a lot of people die off. Because in the evangelistic meeting, they're eating food all the time. Okay, they're growing, growing, growing. All of a sudden, you stop the meeting, what happens? Typical churches, they go to only church service on Sabbath morning, and so people are famishing. They don't know what's going on, but that's what's happening. So, during the meeting, I want that decision. I don't wait to the end of the meeting to call for a decision, because then they're outside of that atmosphere again. Then I have to struggle with them and try to get them to make decisions, etc. So, if I can get them early on, then they grow, 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 and by the time the meeting is ended, before it ends, they're already baptized. Okay? You understand? Yes. Hold it. Let me finish. I've got to finish the question here. Now, so, because they made the decision for baptism, it doesn't mean they're ready for baptism. Uh, so what do you do? You continue to help them to grow by studying, but now I shift. I then tell them, okay, wonderful. You want to get baptized? I'm preparing you for baptism. So now the same studies that I normally give somebody to bring them to conviction, I'm using now to get them to get baptized. So I'm preparing them by just continuing to teach them the truth. And as far as they're concerned, every study is just one more step toward what? Baptism. Baptism. That's all. Okay? That makes sense. Yes, sir. I'll get to you. I'll get to you in just a moment. When I have a person who has been baptized a long time ago and have left the Lord and it comes back to the Lord, what I do with that person is begin to ask questions to find out the level of conviction that they have. If I discover that they have no sense that they need to get rebaptized, then I give them a study about rebaptism. What rebaptism is, the biblical position of rebaptism. And I, if, because he, he was an Adventist, I would also want to know how much he believes in the gift of prophecy. What kind of conviction does he have about the gift of prophecy? If I discover that he's very deeply convicted that it is of God, then I use the counsels of Mrs. White concerning rebaptism for Adventists. Because there's counseled in the book of Evangelism that if a person is an Adventist, but they're not converted, when they become converted, they should be rebaptized. Did you know that? Look up the book of Evangelism, look up the word rebaptism. Okay? There are too many of our people who are not converted, but when they do become converted, uh, I've had people who come back to church, you know, they get, enter into a church, they get involved, etc., and they've lived wild lives. You know, they were Adventists, they went out, lived wild lives, and come back, they're not rebaptized or anything, they think they're okay. Well, they're not okay. They need to be rebaptized. Okay? That's the reality. Now, why do they need to be rebaptized? Because when a person lives an immoral life or lives a life that's contrary to the teaching of Christ, they in essence have committed adultery against the Lord. When they've committed adultery against the Lord, spiritual adultery, and they want to reunite with Christ, they have to get remarried with Christ. 
Okay? In other words, if a couple commits adultery, all right, they separate, they go their separate ways, and then later on they want to come back together again, what, they, what do they have to do? They have to get remarried. I've done that. Had a couple who uh, were separated for 10 years. The guy had run, run off, become a rock and roller, and went off into the wild. Fortunately, the Lord brought him across my path. Because as a former rock and roller, I could, I could give him a few hints about rock. The rock. And so finally, he became converted. And when he became converted, he then disclosed to me that he had abandoned his family and his two kids. Ten years. I said, well, you need to contact them and let them know you're sorry for what you've done. He said, well, I plan to do that. So he did that. And uh, then he asked if he could go see them. Well, he did. And he came back and they kept on calling each other. And finally one day he said, uh, hey, Pastor, are you uh, able to marry? I said, yeah, who's getting married? He said, I am. I said, to who? Ivy, his former wife. So then she and the two kids came over. We performed the wedding. They got remarried. And praise God, they're still together. All right? So, but they could not just start living with each other just because they were married before. They had to what? Get remarried. And a lot of people don't understand that. And because they don't understand that, uh, sometimes they feel ashamed to get rebaptized because they think that people are going to think they did something naughty. Well, they have done something naughty. Okay? So, uh, I think it's important for us to, to, to help them through that process. And I've helped a lot of people with, with that situation. I have students come to Mission College who, I mean, they, they've kind of had a resurgent experience in their lives and they want to, you know, they want to serve the Lord now and all that. They come back and as I go through, because in my class, I go through baptism, rebaptism and all that. Uh, this past uh, class, I rebaptized 13. Okay? Yes. That's different. I, I don't believe in people just getting rebaptized all over and over and over again because you don't get converted. Oh, okay, normally speaking. Well, then that person has some challenge, and I think that person needs some counseling. But, but there, there is room. For example, do you know Mrs. White was rebaptized? You knew that, right? No. You did not know that. Now you know the rest of the story. Okay. Uh, so the reality is rebaptism is something that's taught in the Bible. Uh, for example, on the day of Pentecost, they were devout Jews, it says, and proselytes. Proselytes were people who became Jews, but who were not Jews before. They were pagans or Gentiles. The Jews went and got them prepared. They baptized them. Okay, that's why no one asked John the Baptist, why are you wedding people? Say, why are you dunking people in the water? What's this all about? They didn't ask that question. Why not? Because they knew what baptism was. The question was, who are you? Are you he who's supposed to come? See, are you the one who has authority to baptize? And so John said, no, I'm not he. So John baptized. In the day of Pentecost, those proselytes also, the devout people, were rebaptized. Okay? Paul speaks about baptism, for example, when the Jews went through the, through the sea. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, and they were all baptized unto Christ. So baptism and rebaptism is something that's taught in the Bible and in the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy. So I would encourage you to read that, study it, and usually when I have somebody who, who doesn't understand, I give them my study on rebaptism. I say, you study it out, and if the, the Spirit of God convicts you that you need to be rebaptized, then do that. Otherwise, if you're a normal Christian, you're just growing in faith, you've been baptized, but you made a few mistakes, it's not a lifestyle change, but just mistakes that you make, the foot washing takes care of that. Okay, yes, sir. Uh, my question was... Then, uh, you, you are the last question. It's almost 12 o'clock. When you're helping these people, um, you're going through an evangelistic series, and you say, um, when they make the decision they want to be baptized, you try to get that on early on as, as fast as you can. My question was, if do you think... Um, are, are you worried that that they haven't fully made the decision. If you're trying to get it early on and they're not fully committed to that decision, okay. are you trying to get that right? You have to, uh, if a person comes to my meeting and makes a decision, but I'm not sure that they understood the decision or that their decision is firm, that's why I meet with them, spend time with them, and increase that conviction. And as they attend the meetings, that conviction will continue to increase. Uh, I have had a situation, that's why I'm careful, okay, because the personal time with the individual lets you know the level of conviction, what they understand and all that, okay? So, a person came, it was Friday night, the close of my meetings, the last night of my meetings. Person comes up and says, uh, 
a lady brings him over to me, a church member says, he wants to be baptized. That's the first time in the, uh, that he came to the meetings. Friday night, last night of the meeting. He wants to be baptized. She was all excited. He wants to be baptized tomorrow because I was going to have a baptism on Sabbath morning. And I said, well, I'm glad that he made that decision and I'd like to get acquainted with him. No, Pastor, he wants to get baptized tomorrow. I said, I hear you. Uh, let me talk to him. So I said to the gentleman, I'm so glad you came. And I uh, said, I'm glad you want to get baptized and I need to spend time with you so I can uh, prepare you. He said, okay. Well, Sabbath morning, he shows up with his baptismal change of clothing in a bag, okay? And I said, I'm glad you want to be baptized that bad. But I said, I can't baptize you yet. I need to sit down with you and study with you and make sure that everything is clear and prepare you. Well, he was discouraged. And of course, the churchman was angry with me, okay? And used the Ethiopian, you know. Well, the Ethiopian came and he was baptized. I said, well, if the Ethiopian came and was baptized, it was because he was a Sabbath keeper, he believed in God, he read the Bible, and he was a worshiper. Okay, this was not some heathen that just showed up and, and Philip baptized. If you read the Bible, it says, he came from Jerusalem worshiping. You cannot worship in Jerusalem unless you keep the Sabbath. You cannot worship in Jerusalem if you eat pork. You cannot worship in Jerusalem if you're a pagan. You have to become a believer. So this man was a believer, a worshiper, but he did not know Christ. Okay. So, anyway, so uh, that helped that church member understand that I knew a little bit more about the Ethiopian than she thought I did. Anyway, uh, I said to the man, tomorrow I'll see you. Well, he said, okay. So, Sunday morning I go to his house, and he's sitting in front of the house with a can of beer and a cigarette. <coughs> see? And I sized up the thing. You understand? So, uh, am I glad I didn't baptize him? Yeah, he, the man doesn't understand what it's all about. So sit down with him. So he, I, I, you know, get acquainted and all that. So you're from, he's from Mexico and all that. And uh, so he asked me this question. If you get baptized, will you get a, a baptismal certificate? I said, yeah, normally we do that. He says, uh, uh, can I use that to prove that I'm from here? <laughs> See, so what was he looking for? Huh? He was looking for citizenship. And he's, see, because in Mexico, a baptismal certificate acts like a, like a, a uh, birth certificate. See? So he thought that the same rules applied here in America. So he thought if he can get a baptismal certificate from America, that would prove that he's an American. Therefore, he's a, he could get his... Uh, see? So he was what is called a wetback. He swam across and was looking for a way to become legalized. Okay? So he thought if he was baptized, he could be legalized. So, should I baptize him? Yes or no? No. Now you know the rest of the story. All right, folks. It's been wonderful to be with you. Uh, as I said, if you get the book, it'll help you more. Let's stand together before you leave, and let's pray together. And uh, Pastor Randy, would you pray for us? Let's bow our heads. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for calling us to participate in the good work of the gospel. Work angels would love to do, but you've given it to us. Amen. We ask you, Lord, to empower us, help us to use the information we've gotten here today, to use it in our day to day work to advance your kingdom. Message of success to your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.